The WBEN All Local. All Local. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. Good morning. I'm Brian Mazarowski. Susan off today. Here's what's happening. The White House says President Biden will visit Israel today to affirm support for Israel. But Alexandra Lehman tells us one lawmaker says the U.S. could be doing more. Republican Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton says since American hostages are involved, the option of sending U.S. troops should also be on the table. But it should never be ruled out that American soldiers will save American lives. And we're told President Biden is also talking to not just Israel, but also other countries like Egypt to try to establish humanitarian corridors to get food, water and medical supplies to innocent Palestinians. In Gaza. On that front, an urgent search for secret tunnels under Gaza after Hamas kidnappings as hostage videos begin to surface. Officials now say at least 199 people are being held captive, including Americans. Former State Department official Mick Mulroy with the latest. They say there's up to 311 miles of tunnels. That is a really difficult problem for any military to deal with. So they'll have to do so in a very deliberate and very careful manner so that they can not only fight the enemy in these tunnels, but also potentially rescue some of the hostages that are being kept down there. Americans struggling to find flights out of Israel. Some have had to wait up to a week to escape. This family stuck in Israel, Jacob Milner of Maryland, had been trying to leave the country with his wife and four kids since last Sunday. This was just me being inconvenienced a little bit and and kind of struggling to kind of return my family back home. But perspective I'm not the one that was enduring, you know, um, hardships. Milner said he and his wife spent three to four hours on the phone each day trying to get a flight to no avail. Eventually, after having half a dozen flights canceled, the family able to catch a plane to Dubai returned home yesterday. Well, the latest on the situation in the Middle East will be going live to Jerusalem a little bit later on this morning. WBEN News Time now 5:04. Back here in Western New York, the next stop on the Costco project in Amherst. Involves a focus on traffic. WBEN's Tom Puckett here with more. Vendors and development of the town of Amherst have separate traffic impact studies in the Costco project. Supervisor Brian Culpa notes there will be negotiations. A little bit of it is uh, here's what we think, and then a little bit of it is here's what the town thinks, and then we're going to obviously try to get to a center position on what needs to happen over in that area. Culpa says the back and forth will ultimately determine what happens traffic-wise at Ridgely and Bailey. I don't think it's a secret that there's a traffic issue on Bailey um, in that area or on Ridge Lee. We're trying to figure out, okay, how can we make the entirety of the situation better um, and not just mitigate the additional volume. Culpa says this project gets a lot of attention. Anytime I whisper the word Costco, um, you know, it gets attention, obviously. Um, so whether it's a traffic study, whether it's something about the retail environment, um, Costco gets attention. Hear more online. Tom Puckett, WBEN.com News. Traffic may be the number one thing uh, that people bring up. Costco, traffic uh, in Ridgely. So that's being addressed now. You can read more at WBEN.com. The Iroquois Central School District hosted a community meeting last night to talk about the district's mascot and logo change. That will take effect later this school year. The State Department of Education creating new regulations to eliminate native mascots and logos from schools. The district now accepting submissions for new ideas. Hopes to vote on a new mascot by January. 
The Department of Education requiring all changes to be made in school districts where this applies by June of 2025, and that would include not just changing the name and mascot, but eliminating imagery of the old mascots from schools, from football fields, things like that. We'll be talking more about this going live to the Iroquois Central School District later on this morning. Uncertainty in the Middle East could change things soon, but for now, gas is getting cheaper. Less demand for fuel, lower oil prices, refinery problems fixed, and now most areas having switched over to cheaper winter blends of gasoline have all combined for a pretty dramatic drop in gas prices. In California in the past week, the average price of regular unleaded has gone down 21 cents a gallon. Nationwide, down 11 cents to 3.58 a gallon. But the caveat to all of it is uncertainty in the Middle East, not only in Israel, but what countries like Iran could do and send oil prices back up. For now, though, gas is moving lower. Alex Stone, EBC News. Around here, 381 on average. That's down just a little bit from a week and a month ago. In Washington, Ohio, Congressman Jim Jordan still trying to win out uh, over holdout Republicans in his push to become the next House Speaker ahead of today's vote. Florida Congressman Carlos Jimenez says he is a no on Jim Jordan if the vote happens this week. He says 96% of the caucus wants the old Speaker back. I hope that we can find a way to bring him back, so I'll be voting for Kevin McCarthy. Congressman Jim Jordan spent Monday collecting reluctant Republican votes. Unclear if he'll get the 217 he needs to win. Andy Field, ABC News, Washington. And we'll be monitoring that situation. WBEN News Time now, 5.07. We're two weeks away from Halloween. October, already right in the middle of mid-October. Uh, the costumes all over local retailers. You've probably seen it. WBEN's Max Ferry has more on what's popular this year. It's time to get spooky. All Hallows' Eve is two weeks away from today, and Western New Yorkers are gathering their ideas for the perfect costume for the trick-or-treating Halloween party season. Party supply stores and costume shops are starting to see a steady stream of customers coming to either purchase supplies and accessories for their own DIY costume or coming in to pick up those costumes in a bag that comes with everything you need. They're starting now to come in. People usually wait to that last minute to come in. <laughs> they they'll look and they get ideas online and, you know, they'll call and say, do you have wigs? Or they'll come in and look at the wigs and go, okay, you have that. Karen Noe, store manager of Georgian Company, a novelty shop on Transit Road in Williamsville that sells everything from magic sets and board games to wigs, masks, and other dress-up accessories, perfect for the optimal Halloween costume. What are the most popular costumes? this year. Noe says she has heard a lot of requests for Barbie and Ken, most likely due to the success of the popular Greta Gerwig film, as well as a resurgence of the classics, like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. In addition, your classic superhero costumes will always be amongst the top sellers. I, I mean, your superheroes, your, you know, Michael Myers, uh, Jason, Freddy Krueger, Batman, those are always Spider-Man. Those are always a staple to have. People always want the, the superheroes. That never gets old. Noe says she enjoys helping customers pick out certain pieces for specific costumes that you can't necessarily buy altogether. She says people spend an average of $60 for a full costume. If you're making it yourself, it's not atypical to spend over 100 Hear her full thoughts at WBEN.com. Max Ferry, WBEN.com News. Wow, 60 to $100 on a costume. I could not bring myself to be doing something like that. You're only going to wear it once, right? Right? 
Are you wearing it to work? 60 to 100. Does that sound like you? You can let us know on our text board this morning, 803-0930. Are you a costume person? And if so, how much are you spending? Dennis Vacco, a former state attorney general, uh, and that's uh, important maybe for what we're talking about right now, Dennis, uh, and that is the state's ban on gas stoves. It's complicated to, you know, kind of sum it up in one sentence how this ban works, but I've been going with ban on gas stoves in new construction, maybe the easiest way to say it. It's under uh, attack in a lawsuit where gas and construction trade groups are hoping to block that from going into place. Gas stoves, gas furnaces in new buildings will be banned in just a couple of years. Thanks so much for being on with us. Okay, let's start with the lawsuit. Uh, it's something that a lot of people saw coming, but what exactly are these trade groups uh, alleging is wrong with the state's new rules? First of all, Brian, good morning, and, and thanks for having me on to talk about this uh, this lawsuit. Uh, so it's interesting, as you mentioned just a moment ago, this is uh, uh, a group of, of uh, construction industry, home construction industry plaintiffs, including labor unions, which I find to be somewhat interesting, um, uh, and, and led by the National Association of Home Builders, uh, but a lawsuit brought in federal court in Albany uh, challenging the a ban which was passed as part of the state budget this year, uh, which in December of 2025, on December 31 of 2025, goes into, into effect, which means that for all new home construction in New York State after that date, uh, the appliances in the home, including your stove, your stove top that you cook at, cook on, uh, cannot be um, uh, fueled by a fossil fuel, so cannot be fueled by natural gas. Uh, the lawsuit uh, contends that under the Energy Policy and Conservation Act, which is a federal law that ironically was passed in 1975, uh, that the federal statute preempts, in other words, uh, uh, restricts the ability of a state to enact regulations uh, in this regard. Uh, the theory of the lawsuit, uh, beyond you know the technical legal aspect of federal law preempting or having supremacy, if you will, over uh, state law, uh, but the theory is that uh, the theory of the lawsuit to, beyond the preemption argument is that uh, policy regarding uh, fossil fuels and, and appliances such as gas stoves should not be enacted on a city-by-city, state-by-state, county-by-county basis, uh, that it requires a national policy uh, so that the playing field is level across the expanse of the United States. Does that play into, you know, the, one of the key words I, I took out of this was that the ban is unenforceable um, under federal law. But that unenforceable part, uh, is it more what you just talked about or is it, you know, I'm kind of looking at the carve outs in this where, uh, all right, there's an exemption for emergency backup power. There's an exemption for commercial food, exemptions for health care, uh, car washes certain types of labs, like it becomes, if you're putting a building there, you know, say you're a, a commercial developer, you're putting up a space for lease, you don't know what exactly will be in. Well, you kind of have to have it just in case, I don't know, a commercial food establishment, whatever that might be, moves in to that office well, space. 
Yeah, yeah Brian, I, I, th- I think you're right uh, that the uh, characterization in the lawsuit that the the uh, gas ban uh, act is uh, unenforceable is both because of the uh, the preemption issue because of the Energy Policy and Conservation Act that I just mentioned, but also because of all of the carve-outs that you just mentioned. Um, you know, it almost suggests to me, having you know, spent t- time in Albany as the Attorney General, uh, that the, the home builders uh, that are behind uh, the, this, this lawsuit uh, didn't have a strong enough uh, lobbying voice in Albany because, uh, you know, all of these carve-outs seem to be uh, represented by, you know, my, my assumption is that these carve-outs are uh, uh, represented by, you know, pretty powerful lobbyists in Albany. So, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm opposed to the, to the carve-outs. You know, frankly, I, I think that this lawsuit has, has merit, uh, but you're, you're correct. The, the act itself, the, the law itself becomes unenforceable because of the confusion around so many carve-outs. Can something like that ever happen in a courtroom where a lawsuit is brought on, you know, certain grounds, but then as an argument is made, a judge kind of goes like, well, you know, I'm listening to all these carve-outs, and maybe if it's not uh, applicable to this, 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 or this, why should it be applicable to this? And then just kind of decides on his own or on another basis that for a different reason, the law can't be upheld. Yeah, well, I mean, Look, I, I, I tell my clients um, all the time that litigation is costly and uncertain. Uh, and part of the uncertainty is what you just talked about. The, the, the course of a case oftentimes changes as arguments develop, as the court uh, weighs in on the various arguments or additional information comes comes to light. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's possible that the, the, the you know, once you file this, this lawsuit, the uh, the course that it takes is is, is uh, ultimately uncertain. But in this instance, it's important to point out that there was a similar ban enacted by the city of Berkeley in California, and that ban was challenged uh, as well uh, and in federal court. And the ban on gas stoves in Berkeley, California, was overturned by a federal court. Interestingly, that case was then subsequently appealed the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals that covers California, and the Ninth Circuit a panel of three judges agreed uh, that the ban should be overturned. So it's interesting that now on the other end of the country, uh, the, a similar lawsuit is being brought. So it sets up an interesting dynamic. Um, the, the decision in the Ninth Circuit doesn't necessarily need to be followed by the federal judge in this case, but it's going to be an important guidepost. So I would say that uh, that this lawsuit is off to a good start because of the Ninth Circuit decision in the California case that upheld um, overturning the ban. Before we let you go, just kind of looking at the timeline of this, uh, it starts to go into effect in 2026. Uh, Most people would kind of see the impact themselves by 2029. Would you expect that this would be resolved, uh, the suit that is, and whether or not the law can stand before the laws start to take effect? Yes, I, I think that you know while a decision in this case is not going to be forthcoming, you know, in the next handful of weeks or even a couple of months, uh, but I do fully expect that this matter will have been 
uh, resolved at the federal trial court level in Albany. And most likely it will have been appealed because of my sense is that whoever prevails, so if the home builders and their coalition of plaintiffs prevail, then the state is going to file an appeal. And if, if the state prevails, then the home builders will, will file an appeal. So this case almost certainly is going to the Second Circuit, which sets up now an inter- interesting dynamic. So if the Second Circuit, which is co-equal, you know, has co-equal jurisdiction to the Ninth Circuit out in California, if the Second Circuit rules in a fashion that is different than how the Ninth Circuit ruled, now you have a real uh, controversy that the Supreme Court most likely would be interested in. On the other hand, if the Second Circuit rules similar to the Ninth Circuit and says that states can't enact these bans, states and municipalities can't enact these bans, then I think it becomes the law of the land and, and it, then it appropriately falls under federal jurisdiction. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.